Welcome to the True Connections podcast from CityWire in association with M&G, where fund selectors around the world will share their views on the hottest topics in the markets for 2020. Our lineup of fund managers will then respond to their views. For this third of our six podcast series, we'll hear from investors on everything around sustainable investing and how ESG is set to grow in 2020. For this, we came to the CityWire Fixed Income Retreat in Hampshire, and we're now joined by Esther Gilbert from Investec Wealth, Daniele Cironi from Compass Asset Management, and Madalena Antolin Teixeira from Banco BPI in Portugal. So, my first question, going back 18 months, two years even, we were hearing from a lot of people in the market that ESG was just a fad. They thought it was something that was just passing, a phase that we would go through, and then people would move on and forget about it. So I'd be interested to hear from you what you would say to anyone who told you that now. My instinct would be to say not. Um, I mean, ESG has been around in the institutional world for quite a long time. In my previous role, which was institutional-based, um, we were we were doing ESG type of analysis, and that was eight years ago or so. I think it's perhaps in my current role is wholesale. It's more. It's becoming more prevalent. Um, I suppose the risk to that is that we've had a bull market for. 10 years plus and that with a lot of these social um, things that uh, maybe maybe they might be seen in a downturn as a bull market initiative um, and when funding perhaps needs to be cut etc that, that that might be one of the things to go I, I, I don't that's not my base case I think it is here to stay uh, but that was that's what I would see as perhaps the the risk to to it. Okay, so it's here to stay. The question is how it's here to stay then. Mm-hmm. But it's not like organic food in the supermarket where when uh, in times of austerity, everyone stops buying organic food because it's a little bit too expensive. I think not, and I hope not, uh, but I guess we, we'll see. Daniele, what do you think? Is it a fad? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, but uh, my uh, worry is that it's becoming more and more a marketing material rather than uh, a substantial case or compelling case. Um as uh, uh, my colleague said, uh, these themes uh, uh, have been around for uh, for a few years, but uh, over the last couple of years, especially with the number of uh, um, asset managers that uh, stress and put an emphasis on this, uh, it, the risk that it's going to become real marketing tools rather than uh, something that uh, uh, is useful to differentiate yourself from the competitors or uh, a key differentiating aspect of your uh, funds. Clearly, the theme is getting more and more appealing to the general public. Uh, um, uh, there's also the stress uh, of the new European Commission uh, with Ursula von der Leyen that uh, stressed this point, uh, and it is part of the uh, agenda uh, for the coming years. Uh, so that puts a lot of uh, uh, focus and emphasis on certain themes. But uh, um, I believe this should be a prerequisite to many investments rather than just, uh, as I said, marketing material. Okay. Madalena, how does it look from where you sit? Um, both of my colleagues have uh, touched uh, two main points. One is now becoming to, to be more as a marketing tool for many, m- many fund managers. But yes, it's definitely here to stay. I think on the, the governance side, many, many years ago, a job has become uh, being doing, um, and it's been done. 
and we can observe that in a, when when you are picking up your your funds and uh, the companies you you need to to select. So, not a a, a fact. It's something that will will definitely go on. And as as Esther mentioned, I think many of us have been not calling it ESG, but have been using it for <laughs> quite some time. When you are an analyst, you, you tend to, to choose the companies that are best governed, best social uh, activity, yeah. and with the environment impact is also something that you, you also look at. So I think it's here to say. It's part of due diligence anyway. Yes. And, and do you all think then that this tendency that you're seeing for people to use ESG as a marketing device... Do you think those people will be weeded out fairly quickly? Yes, I think so. I mean, for us at Investec, we are interested in ESG as part of the investment process and the financial implications of ESG considerations within the analysis that the analysts and portfolio managers are doing. And I would argue, we would argue, that if you can add value by looking at ESG factors, then that should be part of a mainstream portfolio rather than having to have a separate suite of products that are ESG. Um, because, yeah, if, if, if there's a positive financial benefit to doing that analysis, then why aren't you doing it in across your whole product suite rather than an explicit range of products? So I'm very conscious of that and questioning managers, you know, if this works, why are you having to launch a new range of products labelled ESG um, and how they answer that uh, perhaps helps understand how serious they are about it and how much it is greenwashing. So if I was to ask how much of your portfolio is allocated to you know, sustainable, ethical or, or impact investing type strategies, is that a question that you could answer or do you not think that way? So our business model is that we make the recommendations and the underlying investment managers make the investment decisions. So I'm not directly responsible for allocating. I can say that in the last couple of years, we have implemented what we used to call an ethical model portfolio uh, run by our research team and uh, some IM practitioners. And that's recently been relabeled just very recently at the last meeting as the ESG model portfolio and that's reflecting how people, how the evolution of ESG is happening, whereas before ethical is negative screening explicitly, whereas ESG is considerations um, around all three of those factors. Daniele, what are you seeing in terms of assets? What's being genuinely being allocated to these types of strategies? I mean, we don't have a specific mandate to run ESG or non-ESG or less uh, social environmental. Um, impact. Uh, what we what we try to do is to analyze the investment process, which is on the base, on the back of uh, uh, fund selection or the specific uh, uh, investment uh, uh, solutions for clients. Um, I mean, I think if uh, if you are a fund manager, certain things should come natural uh, in the sense that, uh, especially if you are a, a fundamental fund manager, a bond bond uh, fund managers, uh, if you analyze credit uh, of certain companies, you do, part of your job is to analyze if uh, the management of the company is doing the right things, if uh, the uh, suppliers uh, or all the stakeholders of the company are treated in, the, in a fair in a fair way. 
So, so go- governance should always be part. The government should be yeah. part of your job. So basically, um, uh, implicitly, that's that's a f- if the filter is already should be already uh, implemented in your investment uh, uh, strategy. Uh, so uh, what is important to me is really to analyze and to understand the investment process behind. Uh, uh, certain strategies. So the implication of what you're saying is that we move to a situation where what we now call ESG is simply baked into everything it should that be. you do. That should be. And how far away is that, do you think? The more and more these themes become uh, um, appealing or are uh, get the interest of the public, general public and investors, uh, we tend to see more and more uh, requests on this sense from uh, the, the clients, uh, which is come comes down to the sensitivity of certain things so it would be it would become more widespread and would become just uh, one of the standard uh, uh, characteristics that you need to to have uh, in our, in our job okay and, and what do you think about reporting because one of the things we hear a lot about is a lack of consistency in the way ESG criteria are not just applied but how that how the their effectiveness is reported to, to investors, whether it's professional investors or, or the end client. What would you like to see in terms of the way funds report on, on you know, their ESG implementation? I think it would be very important to, to, to have the, the specific um, objecti- objective of, their, uh, of each fund ESG uh, target, if it's more on the E, on the, ES, on the S or the G side of it. Um, because we, we, when we look into a fund, it's very important to, 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 to see if they're really tracking the, the ESG details on each subject. Uh, but um, sometimes each manager chooses different uh, layers of the of the matter to apply into his management i'm not saying it's wrong it's not but um when you're looking more into the the, the carbon uh, effects um it's a little bit different when you're looking more into a perfect governments type of uh, fund so i think the the main focus of the ESG in your portfolio. What's the what's the the, the themes you are looking into, and v- being very clear about it should be should be something helpful for us. Esther, you, what do you think about reporting? Are you, what are you seeing there? What needs to change? Anything? Reporting for us. I would argue is less important because we can talk directly to the managers and understand how. Um, ESG considerations are built into their process and that's more important what the financial impact of those considerations are are you being um, adequately compensated for the risks associated with those factors and that's more important what, what's the financial outcome of uh, being invested in tobacco for example and that's going to be different between equity and bond funds as well I think that perhaps for more retail investors the end clients um it it's possibly interesting to see i don't know how much but it could lead to uh fairly uninformed decision making if you just look at a number of carbon emissions per million of turnover or whatever that metric is um what what does that really mean to my mum and dad who are looking at their fact sheets i i'm i'm not sure it means much and it could lead to them uh, comparing two funds on that basis because they want to be green people. Um, 
but they don't really understand the the investment implication of that. So I think reporting probably has a long way to go for it to be useful, really useful. And like I said, our process is really to understand the investment manager's process and how that's going to impact returns and the risk profile of the funds that we're investing in. And that's more important. Daniele, do you get the reporting that you need? Do you need to, would you like to see more? Is it clear enough, good enough? What do you think? What I've seen, I mean, you can apply either a negative uh, filter, so excluding uh, certain characteristics and excluding certain investment companies, or, or applying a, a positive filter, so looking for certain things that you like uh, and certain characteristics that you like in some investments. Um, I'm, I don't have a specific opinion on that. that that's probably we are too far away to have uh, uh, a unique uh, or standardized uh, reporting standard. Um, what I would like, would I like to, what I try to to understand from uh, from a manager, uh, if uh, he has uh, uh, an overview or he can uh, attribute uh, long-term performance of an investment uh, related to some themes, which which ultimately is the the end result of uh, of uh, ESG screening probably. Um, so being able to to understand and to communicate uh, um, these themes probably probably would be helpful for us as fund selectors or um, portfolio managers, and ultimately it would help us to communicate to to investors and to clients. Okay, and do you think earlier in the conversation you mentioned regulation and the the sort of looming prospect of regulation around this area do you think we will get to a situation where it becomes mandatory for funds to report on their ESG criteria and processes and we've, we're seeing more and more for example funds being analyzed by external agencies on the basis of their climate change credentials usually um, the uh, regulation uh, as uh, historically has helped uh, a certain type of uh, uh, clients, but at the same time, it creates a, a more and more complication or uh, burner on the uh, on the investment side or on for the fund manager. Um, what I would like to what, would, what I would avoid is to get more and more uh, uh, requirements uh, and costs that ultimately would go to detriment to the um, to to some that supposedly. Um, it's a good theme, but then if applied in the wrong way, it could become uh, uh, a bad uh, decision or bad uh, negative implication of certain investments. Mr. Mandatory ESG reporting on all funds? So I'd be really cautious of that. I think if you look at MIFID 2 as an example, with um, having to disclose MIFID fund charges beyond the OCF, I think that has opened up a can of worms. And again, to a regular person on the street, and even analysts, um, what does the MIFID fund charge do for a, for a retail investor? Confuses them. And so you have to disclose it. Um, there are different ways of calculating it. So it's not consistent across asset managers. I, optically, it can look horrific. But actually, when you look at the performance, it's already baked in. So I use that as an example of where I think the FCA have put uh, the regulation in place to help end end clients but actually it just confuses I think it leads to uh, people selecting funds for the wrong reason in this instance because 
the f Mifid fund charge looks is cheaper, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting a better strategy. In many cases, it will mean you are not getting a better strategy. So I'd be really cautious um, of of uh, regulatory changes. Um, and if they do come in, then I think as an analyst, that's it becomes our, part of our role to communicate why you need to be quite cautious about it, as we do with the MIFID fund charge. Um, otherwise, I think it becomes a race, a race to the bottom um, in terms of cost or in the instance of perhaps um, carbon disclosure or whatever the numbers are, uh, just, just going for the lowest number because optically it looks better, but actually it may lead to a very inferior investment performance. Mm. And talking to professional investors, I often get a sense that transparency can end up meaning information overload for the end investor rather than clarity. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, kids, try and interpret a kid, which, you know, go back to my parents, they're going to say, what? Um, and even as a professional investor, I think they can be incredibly confusing. Madeleine, you were nod nodding vigorously. To totally agree, Resto. <laughs> this... This this type of uh, legislation can can have a, a, a another side to it, which is not uh, the good one. It's not the one we are aiming for, um, and and one of the things that <coughs> we should look into is to the taxonomy. We have millions of words, and each fund manager using each theme on his own way. First, you have to really define what is what, and it's a long way till till it's be mandatory and then being uh, uh, to 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 be to be out in a, in a, the prospectus or whatever in the fund. Uh, first, you have to have clear definitions of what the themes are and what the manager, what the fund is doing precisely, uh, and then to report it. Um, you have to be very very clear with uh, the words you use because otherwise it can be a, a, a not positive effect as we want it to be. Yes. But who should be defining those terms and themes and producing that taxonomy? Sh should that not be the regulator? I think it should be the regulator. I think the regulator in that case should, should work with the industry itself and it should be a two-side um, work uh, in order to, to everyone achieve the same goal otherwise it can be it can be tricky okay i want to move on to another topic that gets talked about a lot and that is whether the greater focus on esg is in a way giving power again to the active management industry versus the rise of passive strategies does esg favor active management daniele do you think yes because in the end uh, you really need to uh, add value in your selection, uh, in your due diligence. Um, and clearly you need to apply some judgmental uh, uh, call, calls on certain, uh, certain themes uh, versus uh, uh, passive that uh, uh, clearly can, can be used or, or where you can apply certain filters but in the end, uh, the differentiating aspects will be done by an active manager, probably. I think um, active management will, will turn out to be um, a more 
more of a, a, a thing with ESG uh, because when when applying each of the themes, um, you certainly look into any kind of the different kind of uh, of um, companies that are not the the main weights of an a regular index, but on the passive side. You're going to see some ESG ETFs coming up too. Um, I think if you just want to purely apply the ESG filters and to to invest within the 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 ESG world, there will be some 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 investors that will look into the the ETFs. I think they will. They are here already, uh, but. On the on the other side, if you if you really look into the theme and really want to 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 have it in your your portfolio in your decision, you will look for this type of funds that that are much more active management than than passive. So yes, I think active managers can benefit from and probably perform better from ESG considerations. However, I would argue as well that. Although passive management is the passive management against a predefined index and there's no active management there, that there can be a lot of active management in constructing that index. So you can construct, I think this is kind of agreeing with you, Madalena, that um, you can construct passive strategies that are very ESG focused. It's what's in the index that's important. And if all the, the legwork goes into constructing that then um, you can gain exposure. Of course, once that's constructed, it's difficult to change, change those rules. So perhaps it leads to iterations of the same ETF or passive strategy, whereas an active manager can um, yeah, move, move around more freely. I mean, one thing that often gets mentioned in the context of indexing with ESG is a company like Volkswagen, which scored very highly on all ESG criteria until a scandal broke and suddenly it didn't. So it was in those ETFs and those index products. And, and, it, and it seems to me it's harder for a passive manager to deal with that issue than it is for an active manager. Is that too simplistic? That comes down to, I think, the composition of those indices. So why was VW, why was any car manufacturer, for example, in an ESG portfolio? Is it because... I'm speculating here, the composition of that index is based on uh, the best the, the, the best uh, scoring companies within a sector. So even if the sector is dirty, as it were, because you're the best scoring, the highest scoring in that sector, then you get included. I mean, and that's where thinking about the composition of, of those indices comes in. Usually the risk is that uh, uh, you get to overcrowded trades especially if you exclude a lot of sectors, uh, it could be oil and gas, uh, auto manufacturers, then you end up with uh, the investment, uh, um, uh, investable assets uh, that is probably too small uh, to attract uh, the uh, number of investors or number of, of, of uh, investments uh, from farm managers, uh, and you end up with a suboptimal uh, decision. Uh, or, or you have to create a sub- uh, um, uh, sub portfolios uh, with uh, ESG and non ESG investments. Um, I think ultimately you, well, we don't need to lose the end, uh, the end goal of the end, this entire process. 
and uh, so be more pragmatic <laughs> in the decision. The end goal being the return? The return or actually the impact that a certain uh, decision, a certain uh, aspect or certain things will have on the long-term returns. Okay. So I want to wrap up. Um, I'm going to wrap the last two questions together, really. So I was going to ask how you see sustainable investing evolving, and we've touched on that in some of your other answers, but I'd be interested to get a summary from you on how you think, whether we call it ESG or whether we call it sustainable investing, how we see that evolving over the over the next two to five years. Um, but also maybe if you could talk a bit about the the conception that lingers, I think, that utilizing um, ESG strategies means some kind of sacrifice of return. Is that really true? If it is, will it continue to be true? How do we address that? So two questions, really. So taking the second one, as I said before, we don't invest explicitly in ESG strategies. We think that you can add value to a normal strategy. Um, by considering ESG factors. And within fixed income, which is my universe, you might say, and this might differ to equity, okay, tobacco, we see it as a declining market. We're not going to invest in 30-year tobacco bonds. But over the next five years, we've, we consider the risks, we understand it's a declining market and we wouldn't buy the equity, but we're happy buying five-year maturity bonds because these companies remain cash flow generative. And what we're interested in as... A bond investor is the ability and the willingness of a company or a government to pay you back. So what I like about that is that the risks have been considered, recognise the risks to that particular market, but we think we're being compensated sufficiently to invest in the five-year, up to five-year maturity bonds. The short answer to your question is we don't consider ESG funds at this juncture, but we do consider how it fits into everything else. I think... Every, at least everyone in this room, and I think uh, a main chunk of the, the investments uh, uh, industry is is looking into a more sustainable investment over the, the, the next years. Um, it's what we aim for, uh, to have a, a better world, and and to, to mirror that in, into our strategies. So I think sustainability is here to stay. Um, you don't have to sacrifice returns. Probably um, a company that is more focused today into into governance will have an extra expel into social details. It will have a, an extra cost today, but in the run, long run, it will be a better run company, a better governed uh, company. So that's a plus. So you can have that impact in this year, in year one or year two results. But on the long run, and, and if you see that this company is applying those 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 um, uh, goals into into their model, it's something that is positive. So you can really have a, a little difference in one, two years, uh, but on the long run, it will be a added value. Do you think there's still a feeling amongst the end clients that you have to give up some return? to be ethical or sustainable? I think the, the, the problem there is that they are not totally aware of what is ESG, what is sustainability, uh, how do you achieve that? Um, then you can have a, a really well-run uh, company and, and you have better than <laughs> benchmark returns and being sustainable too. Uh, I think it's 
all a matter of explaining what is this thematics, how do they impact your, your performance, and how to achieve a really well-run portfolio, uh, and more looking into mid and, and long-term uh, profits. Thank you all very much. That concludes the third of our True Connections podcasts. Thank you very much for joining me. 